0: Fellowship and love. CMF Curo is the country's first Catholic health care ministry to provide an affordable health sharing solution rooted in Catholic teaching and community. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.com. That's mycatholichealthcare.com. CMF Curo, healthcare fully alive. What are you doing this Lent? The St. Paul Center is streaming their newest video Bible study for free starting Ash Wednesday. Based on Scott Hahn's renowned covenantal theology, this is a study no one should miss. Invite your friends, Catholic or not. Don't miss your chance to see this premium study for free. Go to stpaulcenter.com to sign up today.
1: Welcome to the Dignity of Women, where we dig deep into the vocation and dignity of women in the church, in modern times, and as an answer to the call for a new evangelization. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Joining me today is Rana Evitz. Rana followed a call to teach sign language in Africa shortly after her senior year of high school, in which she was baptized into the Catholic faith. Rana worked for seven months in an established deaf school in Uganda's capital city before discerning with the local priest and bishop that she should start her own Catholic school for deaf children. In 2016, Rana was given permission by the bishop and... A catechesis building to begin what became St. Francis de Sales School for the Deaf in a remote village in the northwest corner of Uganda, right next to the Democratic Republic of Congo and South Sudan. Rana was 21 years old when Bishop Wannick granted her the building. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Rana.
2: Thank you for having me, Kimberly.
1: So, Rana, you describe your high school experience in the way that too many young girls unfortunately do self hate, partying, drinking, a lack of God and religion, suicidal thoughts, and even a past of sexual abuse. How were you able to rise up from all that and just a few years later find yourself fulfilling a personal dream to live in Africa and begin a school for deaf children at the age of 21?
2: Yeah, it was all. God's graces and responding to that. Um, I think it was mostly my desire for happiness, um, truly because of the, the depression a whole lot. And the fact that these, you know, this partying and all these things, it wasn't bringing anything out of me, no fulfillment, no fruits. Um, and I was so, so, so unhappy, so hurting on the inside and I just wanted to be happy. And so seeking that, and then, you know, seeking, um, different friends and then, all these things in different churches and everything just brought me closer and closer to God because I was seeking him. So, yeah.
1: And you began taking sign language classes at your Texas high school because it fulfilled a language requirement. Tell us about the project on deafness in Uganda that began to shape your own future use of the language.
2: Um, so it was our third year of sign language and, um, we, I actually tried dropping out of sign language because I was like, I'm not going to use this for anything. It's pointless. I just want to, you know, get out of school. And my sign language teacher really insisted that I, you know, stay in her class. And so she did not let me drop out at all. And we, at the end of that year, which is when I was, it was after my baptism, we were to choose a country of interest and learn about their deaf history, their deaf culture, their sign language, um, how the deaf were treated there. And I had already had this pull and really, really, really desired to go to Uganda to serve there. I wasn't really sure how. So I chose Uganda. And then it was through that I learned about the history of deafness there and their present culture and how they treat deaf people now, um, and the all of the hardships that they face, how they're considered stupid, how they're considered cursed sometimes, um, a complete shame to the family, um, you know, all of that. And then they don't get educational opportunities. They don't have access to receiving a language. And so all of that just completely took me, and I couldn't believe it. And so it was through all of that research I found a certain organization – Uh, that I just, I really liked. And um, they were in the capital city there. So I just sent them an email and told them exactly where I was at, what I had been doing three years of, you know, American sign language and everything. And they, they welcomed me to come and stay with them. So I was, I was able to go.
1: Yeah. And I think when we think of deaf children in this country, There's a lot of resources, you know, in certain cases, parents really have to work for them. You know, maybe they even have to relocate to be closer to a good deaf school. They're not as common, obviously, as private schools. There are a lot of resources and it does seem that most parents, when they have something like a hearing impaired child, do try really hard to get them involved, try to find any resources that they can that are available. And there are a lot of free resources in this country. If parents are really willing to, they're willing to drive a little bit or, um, you know, do those kind of things. But in Uganda, that's obviously not the case. There's not these resources and there's not really a cooperation on the part of the family because they don't really see that there's a possibility for these children to be educated, even if the resources existed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that is a true thing. I mean, deafness all over the world in different countries, you know, they're at different places in America. We definitely have a lot more freedom and dignity given to them. And we have a um say medical understanding of deafness and that, you know, it's a problem within the ear and it's not an outside source of a curse or something you have done wrong. And that's the biggest thing to combat within Uganda is the ignorance surrounding deafness. And they, you know, they think it's like a generational curse or they have done something wrong. And so it's such a shame. So they hide that child because they don't want that to be seen and they don't know what to do. And then that's not the case for everybody. There are the parents that, like you said, they they just don't have those resources. Um, in the capital city and in other places in Uganda, they do have deaf schools. And in the capital, they do have you know these primary schools, secondary schools, and um, universities where deaf can attend and they'll have interpreters and stuff. But that requires money. And you're living in a country where the majority are in poverty and especially where we're at. That's, that's not really an option. The schools, they have some you know units within government schools that are not properly run. And the schools that you could send your child to are really far away and really expensive. And so that that isn't really an option for most of the parents that we have, actually all of them. There's no option for that. Um, and then you still deal with the fact that because of the ignorance and lack of understanding about what deafness really is, they kind of link the not being able to hear and speak to the mental ability of the child so they think like you know even if an education our child they just you know kind of assume that their child is stupid it has is not going to be able to learn is not going to be able to spiritually grasp things and so what is the point of sending them to school they there there's kind of like that um so we we deal with that and able to talk to parents and really explain to them what sign language is what this um, communication with the hands is and how the child is able to comprehend everything, you know, completely everything. It's just that their ears are damaged and, you know, there's a lot of factors like that. Yeah. It's definitely a different world over there um, with the deaf children. And the, the stigma is so bad in some areas or with some families and some cultures that they will completely hide their children. They will neglect them and abuse them. Um, sometimes spouses will threaten, especially the husbands will threaten the wife to leave um, unless she gets rid of the child. And so the child is given to a grandmother or a family member. And one case in particular at the first school that I went to was a boy who the family, it was such a shame to that family that the parents rejected the boy. And so he lived with a relative and those relatives um, t- had him tied to a tree for several years And really abused him um, so much that when the director of that school had, you know, then the police had received him and everything, he wasn't able to walk because of being tied up and they had to give him a surgery. And, you know, he was made to eat food they threw on the ground or, you know, his own unimaginable things, feces or whatever was there, bugs maybe, and just covered in um, jiggers, which are like, uh, not chiggers, like we have in America, but jiggers. And they're like, sort of like maggots that, um, burrow in your skin. And so he had those all over his fingers, all over his feet and everything. And it's a bloody mess. And so those are, that's, that's one of the worst cases that we've been around. And then there's others that of children in homes that are being, um, used for prostitution and things and their parents, Thinking they are sending their child, their deaf child, to a place to get help, and they're being sexually abused, or you know they're in all these bad situations. So there's all of those things that we have to really, really fight against. And those get those children out of there, and get their families and their cultures and their communities to understand the dignity of human life, the dignity of this child.
1: And so, for the boy that you're talking about, who was tied to the tree, there was absolutely nothing wrong with this boy other than
2: deafness. Is that correct? Um, so him in particular is more his, he has some mental retardation and I'm not really sure when that was formed. Um, so he, he has that as well, but I think he has some small hearing, but for whatever reason, he's unable to talk. I never went to the doctor with him or got his diagnosis, but it's because of those things that are wrong with you. So it's not only deaf children, but it's children with all disabilities. They are put away, put into shame. There, are, Sometimes uh, it's known that the compassion, which doesn't make sense, the parent thinks that they're doing a better thing for their child if they have a child born with severe physical or mental disabilities that they put them in the corner um, and basically allow them to starve to death. Hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really terrible and unimaginable.
1: So how do you begin to change a culture? Obviously, you're doing what you can in the small village that you're called to. Um, You talk about these cultural differences and some of these practices that obviously might surprise and shock Americans. Um, What was your own adjustment period like when you began to live there. I mean, you are a white girl from Texas with red hair and you go into a remote village in Uganda. It's obviously dangerous. You, you had talked to me before about some of the dangers and, you know, needing bodyguards and security and things like that. How do you begin to change a culture that's not your own, and to be able to get through to some of the parents of these children or family members, in what ways have you seen the Lord working through you? Obviously, He's called you there for a reason. Um, what What are some of those ways that you've seen the grace working?
2: Yeah, so first and foremost, um, everything is, of course, Jesus, just attributed to God, and i mean we we know that and prayer so those are the primary things because um like you mentioned those differences the first time i did go there very angry i wouldn't i was not responding well to these horrible situations i was so angry so uh, you know you could be very angry and hateful almost towards these families how can you be this way and so but i myself had to understand where they were at and you know grasp that as a whole and that took time and a lot of prayer and a lot of agony in that way just to be able to grasp that. And then something really interesting that God has allowed me to realize is like you said, being an American over there. So being very drastically different by color, by when you see me, most of our students and a lot of our parents and, you know, just where we're at in the village um, have never seen a white person before. And there are stigma. There are things that they think about Americans kind of grab a culture as a whole and have these perceived notions about them. So that's what they have over white people that we have a ton of money and we're so advanced in all these things. And, you know, we're holier in some ways. Like it can be really crazy. Like even comments of like white people don't sin and white people are not deaf because white people are perfect. They have these preconceived notions of all these things. So it, God has used it to work in an advantage, which has been very interesting for me to grasp and realize because when I am moving around, When, especially when we started giving these, these deaf children and started, you know, really reaching out to these villages and talking to different places and trying to get people, um, it's really a lot easier for me because I am a white person. So I draw a lot of attention automatically. It's just all the attention is there because it's like, whoa, what is she doing? And I have these freckles all over me, like I mentioned before. So that's another thing. Like, what are these spots? So these weird things. Um, and then I'm over there helping the least, of their culture, right? The ones that are kind of put away, that are hidden, that are ashamed. These cursed ones that they don't know what to deal with because they're deaf. They don't know how to. They can't communicate. They don't, you know. So all of those things, and I'm over there specifically to help them, and that was a big shock. So I think just doing that presence, and the more and more that I'm obviously signing all the time, and hanging out with um, some young adults on the street, and uh, signing. All the time. That's what we do. Just signing, signing all the time, and you know, every day it's a daily thing of like people coming up to you. I need money for this and this and this. We need money. You know, you're living in a place of poverty, and that's understandable. Um, But I realized my responses to everyone was, "I'm not able to help you. That's not my ministry. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here solely for the deaf." And so many people would ask me why. They would be like, "What? Why?" And then you get to which it's a beautiful bridge because then I can explain sign language. I can talk with my voice, as well as with my hands at the same time and show them like, I can communicate fully and be able to express that. So God's really used that because I'm not obviously a Ugandan of their tribe and culture trying to explain things they are different. I'm this person that they think they hold white people to a higher standard. And I'm showing that, you know, I'm automatically going for for the least of these, these deaf children and lifting them up and helping them and within the church too. So it's a complete, beautiful religious thing that like, this is what Christ is calling us to, because even within Christianity there, how do you say their traditional paganism kind of roots are so like tribal roots are so deep within them that the new Christianity, it's even, you know, tribalism runs a lot deeper. Superstition is still a lot deeper. So to show and lift up and show that like Christ is calling us to do this, and you can't treat people like this, you know that that's i God has used that in a really big way, just because how I guess i don't know strange it is for a white person to be in this village and and to keep doing this every day and and like you said, like the danger and stuff like I have been attacked several times um people have tried you know, like chopping me with a hoe with, um, a machete, um, just grabbing me, like hitting me, dragging. I've been dragged into a building, all those things just because I am white and I am a young woman and, um, maybe have money or, or, you know, those things. So it's, it's really interesting to keep doing that and to keep being hated almost and attacked. But, to still stand strong and to be close to the priests and the bishops. And they're, you know, right completely with me, um, preaching in their parishes about the school and getting more deaf children for us. And a lot of the priests have started um, more homilies about their school. They're able to evangelize deeper into what deafness is, into what Christ is calling people to do. And seeing that people with disabilities are okay, the priests are able to evangelize more and more and more and use our school as a resource. And this woman from America, you know, so yeah, there's a lot, you know, with that, but.
1: And how prevalent is Catholicism? Because obviously you're talking about a pretty remote village, but yet there's a Bishop Mm -hmm. there and a priest Mm -hmm. there and a parish there. And um, obviously people are attending this parish. How Mm -hmm. many people usually attend on a Sunday and, you know, how
2: widespread across Uganda would you say Catholicism is? So um, Uganda, there's like 12% Muslim, and then the rest are Christians. And it's pretty 50-50 split between um, Church of Uganda, which is Anglican, and then the Catholic Church. And in the West Nile region is actually where the White Fathers have come, and it's pretty densely populated with Catholicism. Now, there's a difference between like, you know, kind of living out the trueness of the gospel and them knowing it and be able to grasp it and stuff, because I think Christianity is less than a hundred years old in that area, but most people are Catholic, claim to be Catholic. And so that's, that's, you can always meet people on that ground, which is really awesome. We have a few children um, at our school who uh, come from Muslim families and we, we do deal with kind of that, but most people are Catholic and the, the, I was talking to the Monsignor one day, and I wasn't sure if he meant the diocese or his parish. I think he was referring to his parish serves fifty seven thousand people. So this is rolling hills, like village, way spread out, but there are Catholic churches, parishes everywhere. Even if the they call chapels or outstations are um, giant. Chapels, but made completely out of mud and then grass roofs because wow. that's what they can afford. Yeah. And so, like, I stay, um, for safety re- reasons, as the bishop wished. Um, I stay in, um, Paida, just 15 minutes away from my school with four to five priests, however many they have there at the rectory. And then they have like guest rooms, which are for me and some of my volunteers. And then there's seminarians there. And those priests every day travel around so far, so far, just to reach communities of people and really try to deeply evangelize. But as the the priests, these are their words, um, is they are fighting backwardsness. They say a lot of things because of the deeply rooted... um, uh, witchcraft, paganism, tribalism, culture, and superstition they have, it's so deeply rooted in there that they're backwards in the way that they think and the way that they handle situations. Um, and so so Catholicism is prevalent. in most of the people, when you go there, most of the people are there. Church attendants are a like there could be like 400 people at attendance. Like wow. there's a lot of people. The mass is always full. We're in these, you know, really big churches and they have three, four masses a day and every single one of them are full and there's children sitting at your feet in the aisle ways. And so it is really, really beautiful. And they're very charismatic, but putting that into the deep, practice and understanding, like Christ calls us to a complete new way, a new, right? He he calls us to transform and leave the old way. That still has always a work in progress, but there are many like devout Catholics and we do have some wonderful families, um, with deaf children. And those, those children you can tell are the ones that thrive the most because their parents are just trying everything that they can for their children.
1: It's interesting also that you spoke about when people ask you for money and you are able to say to them, I can't help you because that's not my mission. And that's not what I'm called to. And I think a lot of times we as Americans, what I have seen and experienced is we get almost frozen with charity because it's like we want to give and we have the resources to give. But there's so many needs that you just kind of freeze up because you're like, well, how can I give to one and not to all or to not this and that and it's like, sometimes you just need to choose or, you know, ask God to pick one and then to really pour yourself out into that and he will call others to be poured into to other areas, you know, and um. And then, I I don't know, it just struck me how you are able to say to the others, you know, I am giving, I'm giving fully of myself, but it's to where I'm called. And I can't, if I were, if I were to spread my resources to everyone that needed something here, we would no longer have a deaf school. We would no longer be serving these children. We need to put it where it's meant to be right now for me where i'm being called and where yeah. where my money is being called to go you know whatever you're when you come back to the states and you mm-hmm. um give talks and raise money for the school and things like that and yeah. to be a goo- good steward of that money that people know is is going to the school you know to St. Francis and so i just want to back up a little bit to ask you Because I think this is an important one that maybe we skipped over, but you obviously did not have Catholicism, at least to the point of getting baptized until your senior year of high school, which obviously you talked about was a pivotal point in when all of this changed and this surrender and your ability. I mean, you left shortly after high school, you left Texas to go to Uganda. You never went to college at age 21. God had you starting your own deaf school in Uganda. So, I mean, he worked really fast after your senior year when you were baptized. What was it that called you to Catholicism at that point in time?
2: Um, uh, I get so emotional about these questions. Um, he had just been working on my heart and I still it's so mysterious how he does everything. Um, When I was younger and after my um, parents had gotten divorced, we lived closer to my grandmother and um, she would take me to mass. And I was always craving this thing that my cousins had. And I think it's because, my cousins, they were all Catholic and my grandma was Catholic. And one of my cousins, she's my age and I live close to her. So she's just six months younger than I am. So we're always friends. And she was always so happy and her parents were together. And I just automatically as a child attributed that because of God. And I wanted this God thing. I didn't know anything about God or who he was. I was never, um, even though my parents were, I mean, christian stuff it was such a bad and abusive home that we were never really taught anything but i think my grandmother would always take me to church and we would always serve the homebound after mass so after mass i would be with her and then immediately go back to the sacristy and i would sit there and i would meet the priest every single you know sunday then after we would go serve the homebound these people who are sick and dying of cancer of you know all these other things and give them this piece of bread this eucharist the body blood soul and divinity um and that somehow stuck with me and i still prayed every day um my whole life i can remember every night praying um um, sometimes again with the the sexual abuse and the depression sometimes it was praying for death most nights um sorry because it just hurt so bad and um, there was so much silence I felt in my own self, you know, that I wanted to express and I wanted to be loved and I wanted to be okay. Um, and that just drove me closer to God. Like I said, in high school, uh, before the, the partying stage, I didn't have any friends. I didn't talk to anybody. I was so antisocial. It was so hard for me to go to school. And I I gave God an ultimatum. I said... Either I'm getting friends or I'm dropping out of school. I can't do this anymore. And so I did get friends that year and it lasted, that partying lasted seven months. It lasted about seven months of me seeking happiness. All of a sudden I had friends. I was friends with, you know, we were all the popular pretty girls in school doing all these things and no fulfillment, no joy. I was emptier and emptier and I just wanted to be happy. And I was so tired of suffering. And just him bringing me closer. I don't know how he did it. And through, I saw, um, I started going to churches. So I'd go to churches with my friends. So we would kind of switch off every week between Wednesday and Sunday, going to different friends' churches. And none of my friends were Catholic. So it was all, some were non-denominational, some were Baptist, some were, you know, whatever. And I was really frustrated because, um, I would kept getting different answers from different pastors, completely different interpretations of scripture, completely different. Like, whatever their opinion was. And that automatically frustrated me. And I was so confused. Like this can't be right. And my mom was having like a reversion again. And so just together, she helped me come into the Catholic faith and, and starting RCIA. And I just started reading and watching every, you know, Bishop Barron video that he had all of the Catholic answers, videos, researching stuff, reading the Bible every day and understanding the faith. And then the biggest thing is prayer. God drew me closer and closer into prayer. And Our Lady drew me to the rosary. Um, and I would cling to that every single night. I just, he got me into this routine, and sometimes I would just be caught up into prayer for hours. And that's what it was, is he was pouring into me, the Holy Spirit was pouring into me truth. That was me knowing Jesus, knowing Christ. He was pulling me closer and closer. So again, I just think it was him. I just said yes. Cause I was I I don't know why I wanted him. I wanted, I wanted happiness. I wanted some peace. I wanted healing. Um, you know, being abused at such a young age at three years old psychologically messes with you and you can't, there's so much pain with that and so much misunderstanding. And so I I felt so lied to and so betrayed my whole life because that's not true. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And so with, within the Catholic faith, it was truth. All of it is just like you find in the Bible, you find it in the catechism, and it's right when you're going in prayer. And then in history, it's all there. And that was so fulfilling and rewarding to me. And he used that completely with our deaf students that we have now in Uganda. And this is something that I didn't know before I went, but that he's actually revealed to me after starting the school is why I'm doing what I'm doing because they are in that same silence. They're in that same suffering, these, some of these girls that we have, you know, we get them and these priests have brought us children that they know from their villages, or we get, you know, just word of mouth spreading, spreading about these, these, you know, young children, boys and girls who are being sexually abused, who are taught in the elude world. They're, they're called, um, the elude is their culture. there they're called things, They're referred to as things because they're, they can't speak up for themselves. So yeah, that's, those are the prostitutes. Those are the girls that are being, you know, raped and not being able to say anything about it. And then they become pregnant and they're becoming a total shame to their family. All of these things, so many things. And that's what God really connected with me is giving somebody a voice. Obviously you're not giving a voice, but you're giving somebody the ability to express themselves. Who they are, their personality, their language through their hands, and then being able to receive the word of God, receive the love of somebody else, an explanation for why this happened, why this happened, or why we're going to do things this way, why this is good and why this is bad. Like that is huge. And that's what God gave me through the Eucharist. He gave me that through the Eucharist, through studying scripture, my ability. I can read. I know how to read. I have a computer and I have all these resources. And so, I was able to find truth and he, you know, just somehow gave me this passion and drive and ability to full on do this and not care about being attacked, not care about getting malaria, you know, weird kind of materialistic things that you could think about because all that matters is the kingdom. That's what matters. That's it. That's it. And so more, you know, even better than the education and their opportunity to, you know, get out of poverty, to have a better life is the reception of the sacraments and our children being able to be catechized. Now we are just now starting our, our third year of school. And so we've had two years of teaching language to 47 students. And then last year um, we had 26 of those students complete catechism and were able to be received into the church and seeing their tears, these um, young men that are 18, 19 years old, one of them converted from his whole Muslim family, which is a really big deal. Um, And watching their tears and their understanding of the Eucharist and them receiving the Eucharist and our youngest at five getting baptized. And I, I, I that's what it is that right there, you know, St. Francis de Sales, um, he's the patron of deaf And yeah,
1: I was going to ask you why you chose St. Francis de Sales specifically for the name of the school.
2: Yeah. So um, it was just through a lot of prayer and research because I had no idea St. Francis de Sales did any of this, but in there was a deaf man named Martin and he kind of got brought to his compound. He was about 25 years old and that immediately bothered St. Francis broke his heart that he could not receive the sacrament of reconciliation of going to confession. And then the Eucharist that he's not receiving this. He doesn't, he doesn't have the ability to do those things. And so St. Francis, he made up sign language or he learned sign language or something. Cause he's not the founder of sign language, but um, he got that and taught this man, just that one man. No, none, no, any other person, just that one man. And that man within like, um, a year, I think. So being 25 years old and within a year learning about the faith and was completely brought into the church. And then afterwards he was so devoted to St. Francis, um, serving at the mass with him all the time. And then even after, as it's written after St. Francis died was continuously, um, I don't know if you say venerating, um, but visiting him at his grave and, you know, just praying for his intercession, all that. And that was one man, but St. Francis, his immediate encounter, you know, um, St. Teresa of Calcutta, uh, who's my patron saint. She says, you serve the person right in front of you. Don't worry about, you know, all these other things you can get wrapped up in. But when God puts one in front of you, you serve that person right there. And so St. Francis de Sales, a deaf man was brought right there. And so, he learned sign language and taught it to this man just for that one man. Like, can you imagine learning a whole language just for one person? Um, and so that's why we chose him. He's the patron of deaf. And that's our model. That is our goal. We were talking about it earlier of you uh, saying how hard it is to, you know, tell people, no, I'm not serving you. It's even harder to tell other deaf, there are so many deaf children and so many children that have been brought to our school or have we have got calls about from priests. And we have to say no, because our facility isn't big enough. We're at complete maximum capacity. And that's even harder. Sometimes I get overwhelmed in prayer and like just almost agony because you keep having to say no um, to children who are just needing something. But God gave these 47 right in front of us, just like God gave Martin, right? You know, St. Francis, that Martin right there. He ha- We have our 47 primary students and um, uh, we have several young adults, but he gave those ones. And so we are pouring everything into these 47 students. And in God's timing, as he wills, and I pray that he does, we will expand to 300 kids. Um, that's our goal. But I mean, there's just so much, you know, with that. But that is it. St. Francis of Sales, it's the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. There's nothing better than the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know? So that right there is just, it's everything.
1: Amen to that. So I'll just ask you one more question. You obviously have uh, about 50 kids at the boarding school, um, and you're able to offer them Not only the ability to unlock language and to be able to communicate for the first time in their lives, which is huge at the boarding school, you're also able to offer them things like meals and a place to sleep and other um, comforts that maybe they wouldn't enjoy as much um, in their own homes, even depending on the poverty of their families. But on top of all that, you're able to unlock the conversation with god that they obviously have in their hearts and may have had you know in their own silence but you're able to really offer a catechesis and to bring them into communion with the church which is huge it's something that we all hunger for while we're here on earth and into eternity so um are these children deaf children were they able to be brought into the church or receive communion before the ability to show that they can understand? Or um, how are they able to go to confession? Is there a priest who knows sign language? Are they able to have a translator? How do those sacramental things work?
2: Yeah. So talking with the Monsignor and the Bishop about this, several of our children have been baptized before. So the majority, I think, of our Christian children, they've been baptized as infants. But it's after that the parents don't send them because they don't really know what to do. And the Monsignor, he was talking to me about how he has done um, the First Holy Communion on some deaf children and confirmation because there's a word they have for it, but it's allowed. So they will administer that because you are able to. I, I by canon law or by whatever. So, but usually it's the parents' hesitation of sending them to catechism class because they can't talk or do anything. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. So the the confession is really funny. Okay it's it's a work in it's a work in progress for um the parish priest who's doing it, but he's learning sign language and we have a we have one seminarian who's learning sign language and the bishop has told me we have these seminarians that are interested, so I know we're going to get our own hopefully um, chaplain at our school um, because the bishop's really, really, really keen on these seminarians learning sign language for confession. So as for now, we do confession. we taught the priests the signs that you need to sign for the um, the absolution and giving the the penance because everything else is valid. so I mean you basically enter and they do the same thing and you know the sign of the cross and then our students, sign everything they sign all of their sins it is it is an interesting thing and even for our priests a lot of the priests this is completely new this is so new for them they're completely supportive and willing to learn but it it, we were able to do it and it is valid confessions and everything because they are stating their heart's intention and then we taught them you know the sign language for the penance of you know giving the our father and the hail mary and the absolution so um slowly by slowly as ugandans say But it is really beautiful to see the priests so open and so for this and trying with all that they do. I mean, serving so many people because you don't have like, you know, little cards where it's convenient to go boom, 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 here and here. But they're serving over miles and miles and miles to parishioners. And so every day it's like they can do 300 people in confession one day. So they drive for miles out to a village and then 300 people come and do, you know, reconciliation. So they are busy, but they give us our time. And it is so beautiful to grow together. And even the parish community, they have embraced our children. Parishioners are bringing us food. They're donating stuff to us that they're, these are not their uh, children, you know, but they're really starting to embrace and realize like how awesome this is. And so our students, we have a school mass, um, every couple of months, our school serves the mass. So we do all the offertory, we do all of the readings and, um, the prayer intentions which is awesome. So our students go up there by the, do you call it the pulpit? Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway, and they sign all the readings. And then we have like a voice interpreter for everyone else. And so that has been huge for the whole community to see our students be able to do everything. And they're just like, whoa, these students are reading scripture, and they're receiving the Eucharist. And like, they understand everything. So it's it's just, you know, there's so much to say. It gives them respect and dignity, really. Yeah. Yeah. And the understanding for other people, because sometimes like you can't really blame a whole entire culture. If you don't know, you just don't know. Right. right? And so that ignorance is just, uh, like fading away for the community. And they're totally starting to understand and like accepting these children as our own. And it's like, it's going into the parents and caretakers of our children. And they're wanting to receive, learn more sign language with the sign language books we've given them and, you know, be way more involved and stuff. So it's, it's a work in progress and it's really slow and stuff, but you know, God is God is doing His thing. So, Amen.
1: Well, Rana, I want to thank you so much for yeah. for your openness to the work that you're doing to God's call, and the example that you are to all of us, and the way that you're serving the community there and the community here. And um, if you would like to learn more about Rana Evitts, her school is St. Francis de Sales. And you can find out more about that school or how to donate at stfrancisministries.org. Thanks again, Rana, for being here with us. Yes, thank you so much
2: for having me. I appreciate all of it. so.
0: Lexus of Lexington, home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusOfLexington.com.